Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is to see everyone attend church and hear from God daily through His Word. The Bible reveals God's responses to various situations, and through daily devotions, we can reshape our thought patterns, transform our minds, and become more Christ-like. Join us here every Monday through Friday as different pastors and leaders from Fusion Church provide insightful devotions and teachings based on the day's scripture. For the current SOAP reading plan, visit fusionchurch.cc soap and join us as we deepen our understanding and relationship with God. Father, we want to thank you for the gift of waking us up today. And we know, Lord, uh, that your word has a way to transform our lives. So we just come. Uh, Holy Spirit, we want to open our hearts uh, that you would just be able to speak your truth into our hearts through the word of God. And I just pray, Father, that you would highlight as we go through this study today, that you'd highlight to each of us that specific point or points that you want us to hear and put into action. So, Father, we thank you again for your presence, and we come expecting to meet you through your scriptures, Lord. And it's in your name we ask you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, here we go. Uh, Second John. The elder to the chosen lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, for the sake of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us. From God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I was very glad to find some of your children walking in truth, just as we have received commandment to do from the Father. Now I ask you, lady, not as writing to you a new commandment, but the one which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves that you might not lose what you've accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teachings of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teachings he is both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house. Do not give him a greeting. For the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. Having many things to write to you, I do not want to do so with paper and ink. But I hope to come to you and speak face to face that your joy may be made full. The children of your chosen sister greet you. Amen. Amen. Okay, uh, a short little letter here, uh, but I think there's three points I think that we don't want to miss, uh, as John writes this. Number one, uh, God wants us to walk in the truth. God wants us to walk in the truth. Secondly, Love 
is the ultimate indication both to the church and the world that we really get what truth is about. Truth equals ultimately walking in love. And three, God wants us to experience his grace, his mercy, his peace, and his joy. So those are the three points we're going to look at. Uh, before I jump in, let me give you a little background. Uh, this particular letter is written by John, the disciple of Jesus. Uh, John wrote also the gospel. He also wrote uh, the first letter of John. We're looking at second, and he also wrote third John. So uh, he also uh, had the revelation. Uh, that's another book uh, that he was authored through the Holy Spirit to write. So he's been busy writing, uh, and it says here, the elder to the chosen lady and her children. And the scholars have debated exactly, you know, who is this chosen lady and her children? Uh, and there's two major uh, viewpoints here. Number one, that John could be literally writing to a Christian lady and her children, okay? Kind of like a family. Other scholars say, no, no, it's more metaphorical, uh, and the, the uh, lady and the children basically refer to a given local church. But the important thing today, because we can't prove it one way or the other, is it's written to Christians. So it was written to Christians back then when it was written, but it's also written to you and I. Uh, and, and the beauty of Scripture, it addresses people not just back then, it addresses your life and mine today. So uh, with that, let's look at number one. Uh, God wants us to walk in the truth. Uh, in the early church, there was a lot of false teaching that was beginning to infiltrate uh, the local church bodies. Uh, let me give you basically three of them. One was the Judaizers. The Judaizers said, basically, if you were a Gentile, you had to, in a sense, become a Jew and follow Jewish laws to become a Christian. Uh, and Paul says, no, that's totally out of whack. Uh, a Gentile can just put their faith in Christ and in his cross, and he's saved. Judaizers said, no, 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 you got to keep the Jewish laws as well. Well, that was one false doctrine that was circulating. Um, another one um, was people were attacking Paul's letters, and Paul wrote a bundle then, Romans, you know, to Corinthians, the Ephesians, the Philippians. And there were people floating around in the early church that said that Paul's offbeat. He's preaching false doctrine. Uh, and Paul, in some of his letters, refuted that and said, no, no, I'm apostle of the Lord, and I am sharing the truth with you. The third false doctrine was, it was called docetism. And basically, it said that Christ did not actually become human with a human body. He appeared to be human, but he really, really wasn't a human being like we are. And John addresses that if you look at verse 7. He says here, many deceivers have gone out into the world. Here's the deceivers, those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. So that was a false doctrine, because if Jesus didn't fully come in the flesh, if he wasn't fully human, then he could not have fully died for your sins and mine and brought us back to the Father. So all these, these things are, are going around, 
Uh, and he's basically saying here in the beginning of seven, he says, for many deceivers have gone out into the world. So he's saying in that time of the early church, when the doctrines were getting formed in the beginning, people were going out, false teachers, and they were trying to get people off course from what God was trying to get across. And the question is, uh, well, well, who are these Jesus? What's the source of the deceivers? Because uh, he said that at the end of seven, this is the deceiver and the Antichrist. So who ultimately is behind the false teachers? Uh, and the Bible is extremely clear. That would be Satan because Satan is the father of lies. That's what the Bible says. Satan distorts the truth. Uh, there's a verse here, Revelation chapter 12 and 9. It says this, the great dragon, dragon was thrown down. The serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He deceives the whole world. Um, so basically, he is trying to get people off course from the truth, because the Bible says the truth, if you know it, will set you free. Satan does not want us free. He wants us in bondage. He doesn't want us to have a full life. And he's deceiving. He deceived back then. And by the way, he deceived today. There's cults out there today that look like Christianity, but they're not. For instance, the Jehovah Witnesses or Mormons. They do hold certain Christian beliefs, but they do not fully embrace the entire word of God. That's why they're called a cult. Uh, and some people are, are being pulled into these false doctrines today, just as back then. So <clears throat> basically, uh, we need to look out for those. Look at verse 8. Uh, John's saying this. He said it back to the people then, but he's saying it to you and I on the screen. He says, 8, watch yourselves that you might not lose what you have accomplished but that you may receive a full reward. John's waving a red flag and says, watch it, watch it, watch carefully what you believe. Watch carefully who you're listening to. Because if you, if you listen to the wrong people, you can end up shipwrecked in your faith. You've got to know the truth. You've got to know the truth. Uh, so basically, uh, John is really big on truth. Look at, look at the name truth, the word. It's come up a number of times in the beginning. Verse 1, the elder to the chosen lady and her children, whom I love, here it is, in truth, and not only I, but also all who know what the truth, okay, twice. Verse 2, for the sake of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. Again, the word truth shows up. Verse 3, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, here again, in truth and in love. And then he talks uh, <clears throat> later here uh, in verse 9, he says this, anyone who goes, I'm, I'm sorry, anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teachings of Christ, does not have God. The one who abides in the teachings, he is both the Father and the Son. So, so John's saying we need to abide. We need to stay in the teachings. 
We need to stay in the truth because if we don't, we're going to be waylaid and we're going to lose all that Christ died for. So the million dollar question is, okay, how do you and I find truth? I mean, do you just go out there searching somewhere and hope maybe you might stumble on it? And the Bible speaks for itself vertically. If you want to know the truth, you have to pick up this book here that we're using today and read it. This is the truth. Let me give you some verses. <clears throat> Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Key statement about the Bible and truth. It says here, all scripture, A-L-L, all scripture from where Genesis all the way through Revelation, all scripture is inspired. And the word inspired means it's God-breathed. All scripture is inspired by God. It's profitable for teaching. You know, John had made mention of teaching. Uh, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Uh, Second Peter, it says this, Second Peter chapter 120, it says, Holy men of God who spoke were moved by the Holy Spirit. So the Bible is very clear. It's not just a man's opinion or somebody's good idea. The Bible says right from the beginning, from Genesis through Revelation, it's inspired. God moved on people sovereignly and downloaded into them truth, and then they took it and wrote it down, and that's what you have right here in your hands, that it is God's Word. It's literally God speaking directly to us through people he inspired to write this book many centuries ago. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> anything that doesn't match up with the Old Testament and with the New, anything that doesn't is a falsehood. Uh, <clears throat> John says that kind of in a, in a sense at the end of the book of Revelation. Listen to what he says here in Revelation chapter 22 and verse 18 and 19. John saying this, I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God shall add to him the plagues which are written in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city, which are written in this book. So basically, John is saying in regards to Revelation, but the entire Bible, we can't add to it. This is God's word. He says, don't add, from, don't add anything. And by the way, don't subtract anything. Just know everything that's in between these covers, and you'll know the truth that will give you a full and a meaningful life. So uh, <clears throat> how do you tell a counterfeit? And I, I like this. If you would go to a bank, and how do they train towers to, to know what is a real bill or a phony bill? And you would think, okay, we're going to teach you. Here's what a phony bill looks like, da, 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 da. That's not the way they do it. What they do is they have a tower look at the real bill, the true bill, and study it over and over and over and over, seeing what a true bill looks like. And as they get the truth so into them, if a phony bill goes up, immediately they know it's phony. So they don't teach them to look for the phony, just get to know the truth so well. And the more you know the truth, then something that's not off will ring a little bell and say, no, 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 uh-uh, 
that's off base. Uh, and I really think um, that's so important. I, I commend each of you for getting up at 6 a.m. and doing these soaps, uh, a great step to knowing the truth. Uh, but I would say don't be content just to turn on a soap and do from 6 to 6.30. I would encourage you to personally pick up the Word of God, okay, personally to study it, and to be able to study it right from Genesis to Revelation. There's been studies that many, many, many Christians have never read the entire Bible through from Genesis through Revelation. So how are we ever going to know what's true and false if we don't even know what's in the entire Bible? So essential. So I encourage you to do your own personal study, to learn the entire Bible, but not just study it to get it up in the brain. I mean, that's a good first step. Great first step to read it and understand it mentally. But the Bible says, don't be contentious with a mental understanding of the word. Take time to pray over it. Take time to meditate on it. In other words, it's not a speed reading course and say, well, isn't that great? Uh, this week, I read 20 chapters. Well, that's great. Well, what did you get out of it that changed your life? I don't know, but I read 20 chapters, okay? So it's not just getting intellectual knowledge in the brain. It's taking portions of the scripture and praying and say, God, take it from my head make it a reality here deep in my heart. And we've seen so often in these soaps, it's not enough just to study it with the brain or meditate in the heart. The question, bottom line, is will I now obey the word and will I put it in action in my everyday life? So essential, because if we don't obey it, then what's the point of studying it in the beginning? So I, I hear John basically saying, if you study the truth, and I found this myself, the first time you read the Bible, okay, that's fine. You get, get some of it. You read it again. You pick up more. And you read it again and again and again. So I'm finding now, because I've studied the truth over a number of years, if something's false or phony that I'm reading in a book, I can say, mm, it doesn't quite feel right in my spirit. Because I've studied the book well enough to say, that doesn't like that, that phony bill with the, with the, uh, the tower. Because I've, I've read the book, and I know the truth, and, and hopefully you have too, that when something's off base, it could be somebody preaching from the pulpit. Thank God Pastor Brennan speaks the truth. What he says, folks, it matches up with this. But I'll tell you, there's people out there that are preachers, and they're out preaching basically things to people uh, that are not the truth. Uh, and because of that, uh, it's, it's something... Uh, that is leading people astray. So, so important, so important, basically, to know the truth, okay? So, that's number one. Know the truth. Know the truth. Read the Word of God. Put it into action. Second point is this, and that's basically, if we really know the truth, what's going to happen is we are going to be loving people. That's the bottom line. What is the ultimate truth? I think of the Bible. It's all about God's love. Uh, look at verse six. God wants us to know the truth. He wants us to obey the truth. Uh, and he says here in verse six, and this is love. What, what is the whole thing about truth? That we walk according to his commandments. 
This is the commandment, just as you've heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. So John is saying truth translated in everyday life means that we're going to keep the commandments. But what is the primary commandment that John keeps hammering home? Look up, back up in verse 5. He says, now I ask you, lady, not as running to you a new commandment, but the one which we have had from the beginning. Here's the commandment that John hammers home, that we love one another. John says that's the bottom line. If you really know the truth, if you're going to obey it, then you've got to love one another. Uh, and when he says uh, it's, it's one that he told you from the beginning, if you go back to John chapter 15, I'm just going to read these to save you time, but you might want to jot it down. If you look at John 15, uh, Jesus is talking, and he says this, John 15, 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another, just as I've loved you. And verse 17, this I command you, that you love one another. And if you would say to Jesus, well, what do you mean? What do you mean love one another? Lord, be specific. What's it look like? And Jesus tells you right here, John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. So what I hear Jesus saying, the greatest love is that you're willing to lay down your life to sacrifice your life for another person. And I think he's saying here, real love is unconditional. It means I may not like what you do, just the way God doesn't like some of the things we do, but he continues to love us. And we're called to love people unconditionally. We're called to love people sacrificially, uh, meaning to go out of our way to put a blessing upon them. Uh, and that's so clearly spelled out in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13. If you want to know God's definition of love, read 1 Corinthians 13. And it's all about, not about me, it's about loving others. And by the way, we can't crack that up in our own sweat and ability and say, I'm going to love, I'm going to love, I'm going to love. No, the love of God in Romans, it says, has to be shed abroad in our life. We need the Holy Spirit in us to give us that kind of love. It's that kind of love when Jesus is nailed to the cross and says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. There's no way we can produce that love. Our human instincts, if we were being nailed, the humanness in us would want to curse them out. But Jesus says, no, real love is sacrificial love. Real love thinks about others. It doesn't think about myself. So, so basically, I, I got to ask me, I've got to ask you, how are you doing with that kind of love? Let's land the plane here, okay? What's it look like? How are you doing in your relationship with your spouse if you're married? Is it about you? Is it about your needs? Is it about me? Or is it about how am I going to bless my spouse? And I'll bless my spouse even if it costs me something because they're more important in a sense than I am myself. 
How, how are we doing in our relationship with our children? Do, they, do we love them with the love of Christ, the unconditional sacrificial love of Christ? How about our friends and our neighbors? How do you treat them? How do I treat them? Do I treat them with the love of Christ? What about the people I work with? There's a challenge. Some of those people can drive you a little bit nutty, you know, and we can get an attitude and we can get selfish and whine and complain and do other things. But if I see the Bible correctly, we're to love them, you know, not just to love Christians, but to love even the people of the world with that same kind of love, because basically that's the telling mark to the world that we're Christians. We don't live the way they live. It's not about us. It's about sharing Christ and his love with others. So there you go. Give us something to think about. Third point, uh, God wants us to experience his grace, his mercy, peace, and joy. Grace. I don't know a better description of God's grace than found in 2 Corinthians. Uh, it's 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And Paul talks about this thorn in the flesh that's driving him crazy. And he's petitioning, God, I don't want this thorn. I don't want this problem. And then he, he says this. Oh, this is in 2 Corinthians 12. And in verse uh, 9, after asking God to get rid of the thorn, the Lord says this to him. And the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Hear it. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in, in a sense, your weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses, that the power of Christ may dwell in me. And here's what Paul says. Therefore, I'm well content with weaknesses. You see if you can say this stuff, or I can. I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And he says in Philippians chapter 4, he says uh, something very similar. Uh, Philippians 4.13, Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's what grace is about. It's a supernatural empowerment to be saved, but not only to come to Christ and be saved, but to live the Christian life. It's all from grace, from grace to grace to grace to grace. And the Lord wants us to know that grace experientially. He also wants us, I believe, to experience his mercy. And that would be his kindness, his compassion, even when we don't deserve it. Uh, and it's amazing if you study Christ in the Gospels, that he's constantly having compassion on sick people, on people uh, that are having other issues, uh, emotional issues, issues that they're running out of food. Uh, the Lord is tremendously compassionate and merciful, and he doesn't want us to just know it in our brain. He wants us to experience that mercy. He wants us also to experience a supernatural peace. The Bible talks about a peace with God, okay? Jesus died so that we can have peace with God and be restored to this rich, intimate fellowship with him. But he also wants us to experience a supernatural peace in our everyday life. And again, this gets back to the book of Philippians. It tells you how do you have that peace. 
It says this, Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing. Okay? I, I, are you anxious? I think about it right here. Is there any anxiety in any area of your life today? Think about it. Anything that's working you up, wound you up, something that's getting you fearful, worried, whatever. It says this, be anxious for nothing. There's no exceptions there. By the way, it's a command. It's not an option. The Lord, through Paul, says he's commanding us, don't be anxious about anything. Why? Because bottom line, the Lord said all over the Bible, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to take care of your needs. So he says here, don't be anxious for anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. And the word prayer is basically the idea of worship. So I think Paul says, if you're anxious, number one, snuggle up with the Lord. Get close to him. Just take time to be in his presence. Take time to receive his love. And then he says, by prayer, then petition. Okay, as you've got time to, to, to settle in with the Lord and love him, tell him what's on your mind. What is your needs? What are your concerns? It says in First Peter, cast all your cares on him by prayer. And then he says, with supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. In other words, if you're anxious, tell God, Lord, I'm anxious, I'm fearful, I'm upset about this. But then I hear Paul said, but then be thankful. Tell God I'm anxious, but Lord, I'm putting it in your care, and I'm thankful that you're going to take care of this for me. It's not just begging, knocking at the door. Come on, Lord, help, help, help. It's saying, Lord, help, and thank you that you hear me, <clears throat> and that you're going to take care of me. And, and Paul says, what's the end result? And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So that's so cool. The Lord wants us to know experientially his grace, his mercy, his peace, and one last one. He wants you to be able to experience his joy. Uh, again, in 2 John, <clears throat> this is found in uh, verse 12. Having many things to write to you, I do not want to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face. Here it is, that your joy may be made full. That your joy may be made full. And he says the same thing. Uh, if you go back to his other letter, these letters many times correspond with each other. In John 15, 11, he, uh, Jesus said this, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. That my joy, hear that one, that my joy, okay? Jesus' supernatural joy, that my joy may be in you. So as I'm wrapping it up here, I have a question. How many of you folks would like to experience Christ's supernatural joy? And I would hope that we raise our hands. If you, if you don't want his supernatural joy, then, then something's a little bit off, I think, okay? <clears throat> so if you want to know the supernatural joy of the Lord, then I'd say there's two things you need to do or I need to do. And, uh, and it really, I'm not just giving you some advice. It works because what I'm going to tell you is biblical. 
Uh, and it says this. In Psalm 16, 11, it says this. God speaks. In his presence, in my presence, is fullness of joy. So if you want to know joy, then you got to get in his presence. And I'm not talking about just jumping in. Okay, Lord, I got here's my prayer list, da, 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 da. Thank you for hearing me. I'm out of here. I'm hitting my day. In his presence, it means taking time just to be with the Lord. And I'm finding myself personally, uh, I mean, this is like kind of fresh off the, the, uh, the burner here for me. It's just starting the day and just sitting in the presence of the Lord and reminding myself of his love, reminding myself of his care that the Father loves me. God so loved the world, John 3, 16, that he gave his son. I know the Father loves me. I know the Son loves me. Jesus said there's no greater love that a man lay down his life. I know the Holy Spirit loves me because he's living in me and he's holy. And this world is all screwed up and messed up. And yet he stays here. And just taking time just to sit with the Lord, just to, to bathe in his love, to receive it, to absorb it. Uh, somebody made a picture. It's almost like if you're going to go to the beach. You know, if you go to the beach and you lay out in the sun, what's going to happen? You're going to get a tan. And if you stay too long, you get yourself burned. But I, ideally, if you're out there, being in the presence of the physical sun will give you a tan. What I hear the Bible saying, if you take time and you're in God's presence, just being with him and sitting in his love, you're going to have a result that you'll begin to experience the joy that God has within himself. So if you want to know the love of uh, the Lord in a practical way, if we want to know his joy, just take time with him. That's number one. Number two, if you really want to experience joy, Jesus said it's very clear. Let the love of Christ flow through you to other people. Folks, the most miserable people on the planet, and I've seen a lot of people in ministry, if you want to know the most miserable, it's selfish people. It's all about me. What's in it for me? And it's I, 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 me, me, me. The happiest, most joyful people in the world are those that are givers. They live to give. They live to share the love of Christ with people. They live to serve. They live to bless other people. And if that's our mindset, and we forget ourselves, and we love God, and love others, you will experience joy. You see, there's only really two commandments in the entire Bible. It kind of sums the whole ballgame. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul, okay? And love your neighbor as yourself. And what's the common denominator in both? Love. Love is what it's about. And let me just kind of tie this up as we wrap up here. Think about it. What is heaven about? This hit me the other day, and I love it. What's heaven about? It's not about golden streets. It's not about having angel wings. It's about being in the presence of love. What are you going to do in eternity as a Christian? I'll tell you what we're going to be doing. Number one, we're going to be experiencing the love of God for us firsthand, face-to-face. -face. Second thing we're going to do in eternity is we're going to be loving the Lord amazingly, responding back to his love. 
And the third thing is we're going to be loving each other, folks. That's it. So if you want to get to heaven a little bit before you get there, then do what heaven's about. I can't tell you more than anything in the world. Keep, there's a verse, uh, it's in uh, Jude. It says, keep yourselves in the love of God. In other words, don't ever step out of his love. Take time just to sit in the presence of God, receive his love. And you don't have to do that just as you start your day. Throughout the day, just, just, just receive it. Fill up. Let, just, just absorb his love. And when you get enough love filled in you, it's going to spill back automatically to him. And it's going to not only spill back vertically, it'll spill out to your fellow man. So if you want to know heaven, you can know it. In a, in a sense, in a very real way, just by your whole life being in love, receiving it from the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, loving them back and loving others. So there you go. God wants to give us joy. And he said, just take time in my presence and pass that love on. So let's pray. Father, <clears throat> we thank you that you're a God that's just not up there, distant, a God just that we interact with intellectually in our brain, but you're a God who wants a relationship, Lord, with every single person on this screen. Not only do you want a relationship, you want us to fellowship with you, to actually develop an intimate walk with you every single day of our lives. And we thank you, Lord, that that intimacy really is spelled out with the word love, that you want us to receive your love, not just in our brains, but to actually get it deep in our hearts, that we know we're loved, that you delight in us, that you want us to enjoy you. And we thank you, Lord, uh, that we can begin to experience that love now in a very real way. And Lord, because you're so loving, you've given so much, we can't help but love you. And Lord, we thank you for the privilege that we can pass that love on in our families, to the people we work with, to the neighbors, to the gas attendant, to the bank tower, Lord, uh, to the checkout person uh, in the grocery store. Lord, fill us with that love because that's the ultimate sign to the world that we're not of this world because we share your supernatural love in a very powerful way. So Lord, I just pray a blessing on each of my brothers and sisters. Draw us close, Lord, send us out. And we just pray at Jesus in the power that's in your name. Amen. Amen. Good being with you folks. Walk in his love and may you know his joy. Amen.